one of the things that I've seen that 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 is so uh, that is so bad is about how it just isolates you. You know, um, man, I mean, and and just you know, you can't see your loved ones. Your loved ones can't see you, and and you just have to talk on the phone and different things like that. And man, it's a it's a that's a tough thing. And I I'm such a social person that that uh, man, when I don't get to see you guys, uh, man, I miss you. You know, and. And I, I love I love just being around you and being around the church and the people and so uh, so yeah so so praise the Lord thank God for His healing power and and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, maybe a little bit about our experience here to, in and somewhere in my sermon we'll see we'll see if I, if I get into it there or not but but we are doing a series on the names of God and we uh, we started looking at the different names and we started exploring that. And we started seeing how important the names were. I was listening to somebody this week, and, and they made the comment. Uh, they weren't even teaching on the names. They were teaching on something else. But, but he made the comment. He said this. He said, and I wrote it down because I thought it was really good. He said, he said, when you have a doctrine that contradicts the names of God, then he says you take God's name in vain. Think about that. When you have a doctrine. Now, we've looked, at, we've looked at eight different names so far. And we're on the ninth one this morning, and we've got probably four or five more to go that, I, that I'm thinking we're gonna, that we're going to look at. Uh, but, you know, and we've seen and we've talked about how these names reveal a characteristic of God. In the, in the old, most, of these na- most of these names that we're looking at originated in the Old Covenant, and it was when God revealed Himself. He, he, uh, he showed up in, in a situation. He showed up in a... During a crisis, a lot of these happen in crisis moments. The, the, what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Jehovah Shalom. The, the Lord revealed Himself as peace in the middle of a crisis where there was absolutely no peace. And God shows up and says, I am peace. You know, and, and that's just the way God is. When you're in the middle of, of a situation and you need, you, you don't even know what you need. God will show up and He'll say, here's what you need and this is who I am. And if you'll see me as that and you'll walk in that, you'll believe that, then I will be this to you. Praise the Lord. So, so you can see that, that these names are very important. And, and, you know, so all throughout now, just as a, as a, uh, maybe as a, as a, what, what am I looking to, to, just to go back over it, a rehearsal or not a rehearsal, what am I looking for? Um, just to go back over it, the, the names we've looked at so far. Summarize. Thank you. I, I, my mind went blank there. To summarize what we've looked at so far, let's look at these names. The first one we looked at was Elohim. And that was the great creator. The Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. The creator. The all-powerful one. He created everything. That's who He is. He is still the all-powerful one. And we looked at each one of these as we as we unraveled these names, as we've unveiled these names and we've dug into these names, we've also looked into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, and we've seen how, how Jesus represents each one of these names to us today. You know, because, because the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect representation of God to us. So when we see, when we see, when we see God reveal Himself in the Old Covenant, and He'll say, this is who I am, we can come to the New Covenant and we can be guaranteed that Jesus is still who God said He was. Nothing's changed. God, the Bible says God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, a lot of times we look at Scripture and we, we see different aspects and we, our, our viewpoint and the way we look at things, sometimes we look at that and we're like, man, that's, that's just, that's weird. You know, that's not the way, uh, you know, and, and BJ's been talking a lot about this, but you know, we see, we see the way, the way we've always pictured something. And we're like, well, man, that looks a lot different than, than what it looks like in the New Covenant. But it's not that he's changed. It's the fact that we're seeing it wrong. We're not looking at it the way God really intended for us to look at it. And a lot of that has to do, BJ brought this out last week, a lot of this has to, does have to do in the translations of the Bibles we read. You know, if you read a book and, and you take a book and that book describes, uh, I don't even know how to, how to do it. This, this book, okay. This is a bottle of water. We all know what this is, right? Well, if, if you get a book and, and you get an author or somebody that you respect and that, you, that, and that everybody's talking about, oh, this is the best, this is the best author and, and he, he knows what he's talking about. You need to listen to him. And, 
and, and all this. Well, so this guy starts writing about this stuff that's in this plastic bottle. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about how that this is poison. And that this is, this is bad for you. And this is not good for you. And then everybody picks up on it. And everybody else starts talking about how this is bad for you. This is poison. This is not good. Well, you know, if you believe that, then you'll miss, you'll miss out on enjoying water. It's not because the water's bad. It's because it, the person you're reading after has said that, and you believe him more than you believe what, what is in, on the inside of this bottle. Does that make sense? That's kind of a, a broad thing. But it's, sometimes it's the same way with Scripture. Sometimes, see, because you have to understand, every translation, every, every Bible, every, every different, uh, the, you know, you can, go to the, you can go to a bookstore and find 50 different versions of the Bible. And, and every single one of them is written by man. And when man writes it, they write it with their slant or their vision of how they see it. You realize sometimes, you know, God was so good and, and the things of God were so incredible that, that, they did, that, they, that they didn't want to write it down like that because they didn't think anybody would believe them. So they kind of changed and kind of kind of toned down the goodness of God in some some of the translations because they really didn't think that people would believe that God was that good. I mean that I mean that's the truth, you know. So so sometimes you have to really dig in and study and see for yourself what the word says, and and it's the same way with these names, you know. So the names of God, as we look at the names. We see things like, like, so we've looked at Elohim, the all-powerful one. The next week we looked at Jehovah or Yahweh. That's where God showed up to Moses at the burning bush. And God showed up and he, he, he started, he started telling him, Moses says, well, who am I? He says, you know, go set my people free. And Moses, Moses said, well, who am I going to say sent me? And he introduced himself as, if you remember, he said, tell him I am. Tell him Yahweh sent me. And, and he, that was where God revealed to him that he, he wanted to be the God that revealed who he was. You know, you ask, well, I am what? Well, he is whatever you need him to be. Yeah. Amen. So, I mean, and we, we talked about he's the changeless one, the eternal one. And then we looked at Adonai. We, we, the third week we looked at Adonai is where Abram, Abram saw God as his master. And when he, when he uh, surrendered himself to God as Master, as Lord, then that's when God revealed the next step of the plan to, for him. You know, B.J. was talking about like with Tashmir, how God said, God said, just take this step. Okay, I took that step. What next? We'll take the next step. Okay, I took the next step. Well, when we, when we see God as He truly is, He will unveil to us what's next. And when, when Abram saw God as Adonai or as Lord and Master, God said, okay, now I can show you, now we can go to the next step. You know, so, so we have to see Him as Lord and Master of our life. Because if you don't make Him the Lord of your life, He's not going to keep revealing His plan to you because you're not going to follow it. So when Abram finally said, okay, God, I'll follow you. You're my Lord. You're my Master. Then he said, okay, here's the next step. So then we fast forward to the next week. We saw El Shaddai. That was where Abram was 99 years old. God had given him a promise 25 years before. And God give, gave him the promise of a son, you know, and he still didn't have that. Him and him and uh, Sarah had tried to tried to come up with their own plan. They had they had had uh, you know Ishmael, and and that whole that whole thing was was just a mess. And getting ready to be bigger still still a mess for us today. But God showed up as El Shaddai, the all powerful one, the sufficient one. And it was when Abraham realized, or Abram at the time, when he realized that it was God's sufficiency, not his, that he could trust him, that he could trust God's sufficiency, not in his own sufficiency, then that's when God changed his name. And he said, and in and, and Romans chapter 4, God told him, uh, actually, God changed his name earlier than that, I'm sorry. It was, but, but, and this, and when, and, uh, El Shaddai, when he, when he was 99 years old, Romans chapter 4, where it talks about that Abram, uh, you know, believed uh, w without hope. He believed in hope. You know, in other words, he, he said that his faith was strong and his faith wasn't wavering. 
Well, that was when Abraham, when Abraham finally got to the point where he said, I can't do this. I'm not sufficient enough, but God is sufficient. And when I trust in Him, then, then, I, then all these promises that God has given me will come to pass. Well, guess what? When Abraham saw God like that, and he realized that he was the sufficient one, that's when Sarah became pregnant. A year later, they had, you know, nine months later, they had, they had their son Isaac, and they had the promise. You know, and it's when he saw him as El Shaddai. So then you come, then the next week we saw him as Jehovah Jireh, the provider, the one who sees. That's where Abraham, God spoke to Abraham 10, 15 years later. We don't know how old, but God spoke to Abraham and told him, or Abraham and said, take your son, the son you love and go sacrifice him on the mountain. Wow. You know, and the, the next verse we read, the, ne- the very next verse we just read where, where Abraham said, early in the morning he rose and went. You know, he didn't argue with God. Why? Because he knew it. He knew he was the sufficient one. He knew him as Adonai. He knew him as El Shaddai. He knew him that way. And he knew that if God told him that, that everything was going to be okay. So he went to the mountain. And sure enough, you know, they're, they're climbing up the mountain. And Isaac says, Dad, we got the wood and the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And of course, that was the picture of Jesus coming and, and dying on the cross and God provided there that day and Abraham didn't have to kill his son and, and he named the place Jehovah Jireh, the provider, the one who sees to it. Then the next week we saw Jehovah Rapha. We saw where when Moses came and delivered the children out of Israel, they came, they, they crossed the Red Sea, they saw the, the armies, you know, die right before them and they come to the, they come to Marah. Uh, a place where there there was no water, and they they were all complaining about water. They come to this place. There's a there's a pond of water there, and of course the water's bitter, and all the people are upset with Moses. And God shows him a tree. God shows him a tree and says, "Throw that tree in the water." So he throws the tree in the water. The water becomes sweet. The water is now drinkable. And God told him, He says, "I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals thee." And, and he makes, he's, he is the God who makes the bitter things in our life sweet. Amen. And he is the God that heals. And throughout, throughout the children of Israel, throughout their journey, we see God healing. We see God, uh, you know, bringing that entire nation out of, out of places that, that just totally healed, totally well. And he still is Jehovah Rapha. We come to the new covenant. I didn't even talk about Jesus and all those other ones, but we come to the new covenant. And you never see one time where somebody came to Jesus and asked to be healed. And Jesus would say, well, that's not my will. I'm not, I'm, I'm not the healer today. Every time somebody came to Jesus to be healed, we see Jesus reaching out in healing. And it still shows that Jesus... Jesus is still the, is still Jehovah Rapha to us. He is the Lord who heals. Amen. Then we saw Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. That was where they were in the battle. And Moses went up to the hill and he sent Joshua down to the valley to fight. And as long as Moses held the, the rod of God up, the, the Bible says Israel was winning. But when the rod would drop, uh, the, then the, uh, uh, the Amalekites would, would prevail. And that's when Ben and Hur came alongside Moses and held his arms up. And the Bible says that his banner over us is love. And, and it's just a picture. We talked about how that God's banner over us is love and is victory. And, and as long as we look up to see the banner, as long as we look up to see what God is doing, and we keep our eyes on God, victory will be ours. It's when we take our eyes off of God and we lower that banner and we say, we can do this without Him. We can do this in our own strength. I, I don't need to have my eyes on God. I can look down here. That's when we start losing the battle. Amen. So, so we saw Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Then two weeks ago, we saw Jehovah Mkadesh, which was the Lord that sanctifies. And we saw how that He is our sanctifier. And He sanctifies us. And He encourages us to sanctify ourselves. He, not only is He our sanctifier, but He also tells us that, that it's up to us to sanctify ourselves. In other words, we can say it this way, a, a different way of saying it maybe, but we can see, we, we can see that, that God, what He is saying is this, I'm there, He says, I have sanctified you. We talked about that. I have sanctified you. You are being sanctified by the choices we make. You know, you realize it's not up to God to, to make you live holy. 
To sanctify something means to set it apart, to, to make it special, to, to pull it out from the normal and to make it special, to make it holy. You realize that it's your choices that determine whether, whether you live a sanctified life or not. God has already sanctified your spirit. Your spirit is whole. You're perfect on the inside. But you know what? Your choices that you make in your day-to-day life will determine whether you're sanctified on the outside or not, so to speak. And how people see you. You realize, you realize God is not stopping you from cussing like a seller. You know, you could go out here and use cuss words every day. And God, and God is not going to stop you from doing that. But now let me ask you a question. Does that make you look like God or does that make you look like the world? You see, it's a choice you make. Amen. And so, so you know, the choices we make have a big part to do with, with how we live our lives and the blessings of God that's flowing in our lives. Not that we, not, it's not a works perform, it's not a works mentality, it's not we're, we're doing this for works. But listen, your choices play a huge part in, in the life that you live and how things, how things dictate, how things happen in your life. Not that God's gonna, it's not that God's mad at you because God is, He, He, He is mad, but He's madly in love with you. Amen. It's not that he's mad at you, but he's madly in love with you. And you can't do anything to stop that, to change that. And God wants to pour his blessing. He wants to, he wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. And so it's not God that's stopping the blessings in our lives, it's us. You know, we, we're the ones that get in our own way to stop the things of God from happening in our lives. Amen. So these names, as we look at these names, uh, we see things, think about that. We've seen the all-powerful one, the relational, eternal, changeless one. He's our Lord. He's the all-powerful and all-sufficient one. He is the one who sees to it that He's been to our, our future and He's already provided for that. He's the Lord who heals. He's the Lord, our banner, that, that his, his banner over us is love and victory. He's the, Lord, he's the Lord, our sanctification. All those things is who God wants to be for us every single day of our lives. And there's nothing, there's nothing that we'll ever face in our life that God has not already prepared us for. That's pretty awesome. Amen. So today, uh, let's turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. This is another Old Testament, uh, Old Testament story, and you're probably very familiar with it. We're, we're kind of trying to do these in order as, as they happen, you know, as they're laid out in the Bible. So we, we've come through Abraham's life, we've come through Moses um, and Joshua. Now, when we get to Judges chapter 6, Joshua has, been, Joshua has been dead and gone for probably 200 years. And if you, if you know anything about the book of Judges, one of the things about the book of Judges is this, is that there's a cycle in the book of Judges that happens time and time and time and time and time and time again and again and again. You would think that they would eventually catch on, but throughout the whole book of Judges, here's the cycle. You know, God, God, God is with them. They're, they're doing great. Then they forget about God. And they decide that they don't need God anymore. So then because they forgot about God, and because now that they're doing things their own way, they go into bondage. They go into captivity. Other nations come in and, and capture them and take them as slaves or destroy their cities or, or do things like that. They, get to, they finally get to the place where they've had enough. They can't stand this any longer. They cry out to God, God, save us, help us, God. Where are you, God? And God comes through and brings somebody in to bring a word or a, a deliverance or, or something like that. And God delivers them and He brings them out of that bondage. And now everything's fine again until they forget about God again. And then they go into bondage again. And then they finally get frustrated and fed up to the point where they call out to God again. And when they call out to God again, He brings another say, another, another deliverer, another prophet, another judge, whatever the case. In the book of Judges, it's, it's, you know, He brings judges or, or rulers. And uh, it's this, this cycle over and over and over again. And we're in the middle of these, these cycles. If you read the first five chapters of Judges, you see time and time again... They cry out to God. God brings somebody. He raises somebody up and, and Israel is delivered. Then Israel falls back into 
to worshiping the, the idols of the, of the, of the country and, and, and other countries come in and, and overtake them. And, you know, and it's just this vicious cycle. And here in Judges chapter 6, we're right in the middle of this. And let's just pick up here in, in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And remember, it's been about 200 years since God showed up to them as Jehovah Mekindesh, or Mkadesh, the, the Lord that sanctifies. It's been 200 years. The, you know, uh, they lived at peace for a while, but, but now here in the, as we get into Judges, the, you know, the first, it's been 100, 150 years and in Judges here, and, and we see this cycle happening over and over again. <clears throat> So, Rome, or I mean, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the, into the hand of Midian for seven years. So here's this cycle. The, the children of Israel forgot about God. They started serving other idols and other gods. And, and, and the Midianites came and captured them. And now it's been seven years they've been in bondage. For seven years they... And we're going to read some of the things that happened to them. Their crops have been destroyed. Their houses have been burned. They, they've had to run to the they've had to run to the mountains and carve caves in the mountains for protection. So when the Midianites come down, the, the, their kids are not killed. And I mean, this is a, just a horrible cycle that they're in here. And it says the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever, whatever, or when, whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up. Also the, Am, uh, the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Now think about that. These nations would come in like locusts and just devour the land and not leave them anything. And it says, it says uh, they would come in as numerous as locusts. Both they, now listen to this, both they and their camels were without number. So, so now this was a new thing. This was the first time that camels were mentioned in war. They rode camels into the, into the uh, Israelites' place there. And, and it says that the people and the camels were without numbers. So they would just ride in and just destroy. They would take the crops with them. They would burn their homes. They would, they would kill all their animals. For seven years they've been in this, this cycle here. It says, so, verse number 6, So, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Here this is again. This is the cycle. You know, they get to the place where, where they just can't take it anymore. They cry out to God. Verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Who said to them, now this prophet, we don't know what his name was. We don't know anything about him other than the Lord sent him. It says, so the prophet came and this is what he said. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Isn't that something? What, what was this prophet doing? This prophet came and, 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 and his word were, to them was, I've given you the answer. I've told you what to do. I told you not to fear their gods. Not to have anything to do with them. Because I, I delivered you. I saved you from the Egyptians. I brought you out. You know, and, and he, what he was trying to get them to do was to remember what God had done for them. And he said, I've, I'm the one who gave you this. He said, I've told you how to have victory. I've told you all this. And then he, but then he said, then he said, but you have not obeyed my voice. In other words, what did that mean? That meant they took the gods of the, of the, of all these other lands and they started worshiping them instead of, instead of the one true God. They started trusting in other things 
instead of trusting in God. Now, we look at that and we think, oh, well, man, how could they do that? How could they do that? But how many times do we do that? How many times do we, knowing what God says about in His Word, about keeping our eyes on Him? Listen, we, we've, we, I read off to you the eight different names that we've already looked at. But how many times have we looked other ways instead of looking to, the, to who God has revealed Himself to, to us to be? And that's exactly what the, what the children of Israel did here. So he says, you hadn't obeyed my voice. Then verse 11. Now, here God, God sent a prophet to the whole nation, but now God sends an angel specifically to one person that he has called to rise up to be the deliverer out of this situation. So verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, and it says, while, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he was threshing wheat in a place that was designed to, to press uh, wine out. Nobody, nobody should be doing that. He was down in this pit where he should have been stomping on grapes making wine, but he was down there threshing wheat because he was afraid of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, we all know this story. We're familiar with it. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, in the natural, nobody would look at Gideon and said, Boy, he's a brave guy. Because what was he doing? He was hiding in a hole so that the Midianites wouldn't see him. That don't sound too brave to me, does it, you? I mean, but here the, the, the angel shows up to him and says, God is with you, you mighty man of valor. Isn't it awesome how, how God sees things in us and calls things out in us that we can't see in ourselves? God may call, it, call out Himself. He may send a friend. He may send a prophet. He may send somebody. But, but you know, I guarantee you, if, if I sat down and interviewed every person in this room and those of you on Facebook and stuff, I guarantee you that you could look back in your life at some point and there's been a person or a group of people or somebody or some, some situation where somebody saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And it encouraged you and it, and it propelled you toward something that God had called you to do. And that's exactly what this angel, he, he, is, he is calling something up in, in Gideon that Gideon couldn't even see in himself. So, so he says, he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So verse 13, Gideon says, oh, my Lord. You know, I can just see him. I mean, you know, we read that sometimes, but I can just see him. He's like, oh, my Lord. You know, you know he's like, you got the wrong person. You know, you're talking about the guy down the street, not me. But he says, oh, my Lord. He says, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and He's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So now notice, that that's interesting, because Gideon heard what the prophet said, because he said, he said our fathers talked about the, the miracles of God delivering us from Egypt. But Gideon looked around and he says, But where's that God at today? Because it sure don't look like He's delivering us. We've been in bondage for seven years, been running for our life. Our, our livestock have been killed. Our crops are ruined every year. You know, we're hiding in caves and hiding in a wine press. He says, he says if God is with us, I sure don't know it. Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, you know, I mean, listen, if, if we were to be honest, we probably, at times, we probably all felt that way. And because and what was Gideon doing really? He was having a pity party, right? I mean, here, here now think about this: an angel. Now at the time, he don't he don't necessarily know that he's an angel of God. He don't know who this who this being is that's in front of him. I mean, he probably didn't look like an angel. He probably wasn't glowing white or anything like that because we see Gideon is just having this conversation with him. He probably just looks like just a you know just an average person or something. So Gideon's having this conversation with him. And then verse 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him. Now notice, notice that, that most people believe that this was, probably, this was probably Jesus himself that came down and, and was talking to Gideon at this point. 
Because it says, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So here Jesus is, if, if this was truly Jesus or, or an angel, whichever, I mean, but I believe it was the Lord, that he shows up and he tells Midian, remember, Gideon's like, if God's with us, I don't know it. So then the angel just looks at him and says, go in this thy strength. Don't you know that I've sent you? You're going to be the deliverer of, of, of Israel. You know, what's he doing? He's calling up something that's within Gideon. And Gideon is, and see, here's the difference. Gideon is looking like this. Where God is trying to get in, this angel, the Lord, is trying to get him to look like this. You see, just like Abram, Abram kept saying, I'll do this and I'll try this and I'll do, it wasn't until, it wasn't until Abram, until Abram realized, he is my sufficiency. He is my Lord. He is my master. He is the only one that can cause this to happen. I can't make this happen in my own strength. That's when it happened. Here, the same thing's going on with Gideon. He, Gideon's is, is all he can see is what's down here on this level. God's trying to get him to look up to his level. All right, so let's, let's keep looking at the story. So he said to him, verse 15, he says, he, he said again, he said, Oh my Lord. He said, How can I save Israel? He said, indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, now listen to this. Remember, he's calling things out in Gideon, and, and he, he's calling these things out. Gideon's like, I'm the weakest of the weak. How, what can I do? And here the Lord spoke to him in verse 16, and he says, surely I will be with you. What's he doing? He's answering the, the, what Gideon is saying, I can't do this. God is saying, but I am with you. Get your eyes off yourself. Get them on me. When your eyes are on me, you'll understand that I am with you. And when I'm with you, my power, my strength, my ability, everything that I have is yours when your eyes are on me. So, God, so the Lord told him in verse 16, Have I not said, he says, surely I will be with you. And you will defeat the Midianites as a man, as one man. Then Gideon said to him, he says, If I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is that it is you who talks with me. In other words, you know, Gideon's starting to pick up on this. He's like, he's like, okay. He says, If if you are who you say you are, if you're if you're really God, if you're really the Lord here, he said, Give me a sign. Show me something here. And and here was Gideon's here was Gideon's thing. He says, Do not depart from here, I pray. Until I come back to you, and I'll bring an offering and set it before you. And the angel says, I will wait until you come back. So, man, this was pretty bold of Gideon. I mean, Gideon's like, if you're truly God, let me go make an offering and bring it back to you and feed you. And the Lord looked at him and says, I'll wait. So Gideon leaves. Verse 19, Gideon went in, prepared a young goat and unleavened bread, from a, and, and from an ephah of flour, and the meal he put in a basket, and he put the broth in the pot, brought them out to him under the, under the tree, and he presented them. And the angel said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. So he did. So, so you know, so get this picture. The angel sitting under this tree, just kick back and relax. There's this flat rock over here. The angel tells him, he says, Okay, take the meat, and the bread, put it on the rock, pour the broth over top of it. And, you know, so Gideon gets up and does that. And then look what happened. In verse 21, he says, Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. So he had a, had a staff in his hand. He reached out the staff in his hand and touched the rock. Or touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And check out what happened. It says, And fire rose out of the rock. And consume the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So now, get, check this out. This was—I mean, this would, this would be cool to watch on DVD, right? Gideon brings—he prepares this meal. He brings it to the angel. The angel says, "Okay, here's what I want you to do: take it and put it on the rock." So he puts it on the rock, pours the broth on it, so it's soaked. Everything's soaked. The angel just takes the staff that's in his hand, reaches over and touches it, and out of the rock comes fire. 
I mean, it just comes, fire comes up out of the rock, consumes the meat and the bread, and there's nothing left. And, and while Gideon's watching this, and all that's left coming out of the rock is smoke, and he probably turns around to look at the angel, and the angel's gone. Now, what does Gideon do next? Gideon says, oh, my Lord, I'm going to die. He says, I've seen the Lord. I'm, I'm getting ready to die. Now, check it out. That's what he said. Verse 22. Now, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, oh, Lord God, for I have seen the Lord. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And what that meant for Gideon was that Gideon thought he was going to die. I mean, he's like, surely this is the end of my life. But notice what happened, verse 23. This is so incredible. Because now remember, this whole story, this whole story is encompassed in this seven years of bondage. They've been in bondage to the Midianites. There's been no hope. I mean, there's, you know, the Midianites are so many people that it's like you can't even count them. They have camels. They have animals. They have that, you know, and there's, there's, I mean, it's hopeless. There's no, there's no hope. And here this angel shows up and tells Gideon, you are going to deliver them as one man. You're going to deliver Israel. You're going to defeat these Midianites. And he's like, God, how can I do this? And God says, have I not sent you? Am I not going to be with you? Don't you know that I am with you, Gideon? And Gideon's like, okay, okay, if this is true, you've got to show me something. Well, boom, the angel just showed him something. And then Gideon's like, Oh, Lord God. He says, oh, oh, Jehovah Elohim. He says, he says, you, I have seen you. I have seen the angel of the Lord. And then notice what happened. Verse 23. This is so incredible. Verse 23. Then the Lord said to him. Now, the angel departed. I mean, he disappeared, but he heard the voice of the Lord again. And he said, the Lord said unto him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So, so the Lord spoke back to him and he says, Gideon, I'm giving you peace. And he says, he says, do not fear. Let fear be gone out of your life. I'm giving you peace. You're not going to die. So what does Gideon do? Verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And he called it, the Lord is peace. Or in other translations, that's where we get the name Jehovah Shalom. He called the altar Jehovah Shalom. Now notice he didn't say, the Lord is my peace. He didn't say, the Lord brings peace. What did he say? He said, the Lord is peace. In other words, when God shows up, what shows up? Peace. It's not like that He just brings it. That's just who He is. And see, and what, when, when, he, when the angel of the Lord told Gideon, peace be with you, or, you know, peace... Peace be unto you, you're, you know, you're not going to die. What Gideon took out of that was this. Gideon said, alright, he's the angel of the Lord. He showed up. He said he's going to be with me. So now I can do what he said I can do. What changed Gideon's mind? Because now he had peace. Now let me ask this question. What is peace? Y'all give me some responses. What, when, if, 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 the, the question, what is peace? What is peace to you? Anybody? Absence of fear. All right. Absence of stress. Contentment. Happiness. Say that. Completeness. All those are good answers. But now listen, here's the thing I want you to see. And here's the difference between... The, and, and I want to show you Scripture in this. Here's the difference between the peace that, that, that we as, as Americans, we as Westerners, uh, look at versus the peace that God was talking about. You know, we talk about it as the absence of fear, the absence of stress, happiness, contentment. All those things are wonderful, but what happens when, what happens when fear and stress come? Does that mean peace leaves? Because now fear, now fear and stress is here. Listen. <clears throat> well, you do have to resist. That's right. You're exactly right. See, because because here, here's what happened. Let me. I'll tell you this story just real quick, and then we're going to look at some scripture, and we're going to we're going to see what Jesus said about peace, 
and what and how he presented peace and then we're going to see how we how we can apply that to our everyday lives to where to where we get to the place where circumstances has no influence whatsoever on our peace see if you, if circumstances can affect your peace it's not true peace peace is just not the absence of something peace is a person peace is jesus and you see, if I've got Jesus, it doesn't, circumstances don't matter. I've got peace because I've got Jesus. All hell could be breaking loose and I'm still at peace. There was a, I read this, in one of the commentaries, I read this, um, this story about there was a, a contest and it came down to two people to paint a picture of perfect peace. And one, the first person painted this beautiful picture of a lake and a mountain and the sun setting and the, the sun was setting just at the right angle and it was reflecting off of the, off of the ocean and, or off of the water and there was a little girl skipping, you know, on the, on the sea, on the, beside the water and it was just a perfect picture just of, of what you would think of a peaceful, something that would be peaceful. The other person painted this picture of this massive storm. And the, he painted a picture of water too, but the waters had these big waves crashing down on the on the shore, and, and you know, and you look at that picture and you're thinking, how in the world is that peace? But in the in the very corner of that picture, there was a one sun one sun ray was coming out of the sky, and it, and it and it was it rested on this little bird that was sitting on this branch that was being swayed by the wind and everything. But this bird just had his mouth open and was just singing to the top of his lungs. Well, I don't know if they have lungs or not. I don't know. He was just singing to the top of however loud a bird could sing. And, and anyway, but that was the picture that this artist painted of peace. And what he was saying was that it doesn't matter what the storm looks like. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If you can sing in the middle of it, that's peace. Bill Johnson says it this way. I love this. Bill Johnson said the only, the only storm you have that you have power over is one you can sleep in. In other words, if the storm keeps you up worrying and, and stressed out and, and got you fearful, then you know what? You have no power over that storm. But if you can sleep in the middle of a storm, it shows it has no power over you. So, so Stacy, you know, we had to take Stacy to the hospital. And real early Monday morning, that Monday morning, and um, you know we go in and and you know they they check her and all this stuff and they uh, you know and they're doing all this stuff and then the, the nurse tells me well we're taking her back to isolation you know and we're we're having to isolate her from everybody and all of this you know so so uh, so they tell me they say you just go out to your car and just wait and somebody will be in touch with you you know. And it's because you can't go back there, you can't see her, you know, you can't be with her. So I go out to my car, and I'm I'm sitting out there just praying, and 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 man, I'm telling you, it was like uh, at different. It was so weird because it would just like come at random times, like all these emotions would just hit me all of a sudden, and I would just feel like I I just wanted to bust out crying, you know, because I'm like I have no control over this. I can't I can't be with her. I can't hear what they're telling her. I can't. You know, I, I mean, you know, and, and, and I was waiting and nobody was calling me. And, and, and then I was having to call people, you know, her mom and my mom and different people just to let them know and just ask them to be praying, you know. And, and a couple of people, you know, from church here, I, I started texting back and forth and just letting them know. And, and, you know, and all these emotions started coming in. So, so finally, after a couple hours, you know, they told me they were going to admit her. And, and so I was just going to go home because I couldn't be there with her. I couldn't go see her and... They said, there's no reason for you to stay here. Just go home and, and we'll contact you, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I, I stopped by the church. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to stop by the church and I'm just going to pray for a little bit. And, uh, and man, I, I pull up in the front, I pull up in the front under the patio out there. And, and, and man, I mean, I can just feel those emotions just like, uh, man, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go in there and break down and I'm just going to bawl my eyes out. You know, and call out to God, and I'm just going to spend hours in prayer with God. You know, begging, begging for you know Him to touch Stacy and all that. You know, that's that's kind of what's going through my mind and all this. I go, I come, I walk in the door. I mean, in tears. I mean, I had tears already coming down my my cheeks. And I come in the door, and I turn those lights on. I open those back doors, and I turn the lights on, and all of a sudden, 
man, I mean, I, I can't explain it. There was just this peace that just came over me. And it was like the Lord, I heard the Lord just say on the end, I didn't hear an audible voice, it's just like I just knew it on the inside as well as I know my name. On the inside, when I walked through that door, I heard the Lord just say this, Stephen, I've got this. Everything's going to be okay. And I come up here, and I sit down, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be up here a couple hours just praying. After about five minutes, I'm telling you, five minutes, I mean, I'm through praying. And it was like the Lord just, the Lord is just telling me, Stephen, I've got this. You know, go home and go back to bed. Go home and take a nap. You know, because you got up three o'clock in the morning. You know, go home. I've got this. And I can't explain it. I can't, I can't tell you, uh, exactly how it happened other than I just know this. For the rest of that time that Stacy was in the hospital, even to this moment right now, there has just been a peace on me. That I've just known that I never feared for Stacy's life. I never thought that something bad was going to happen. Because when I walked, because it was like God, it was like He met me at that door. And He just told me, I've got this. I'm, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I'm, I, I am peace. And if you will just trust in me, I've got this. And you know what? I mean, it was a long week because Stacy was in the hospital all week and I couldn't see her and, you know, I was having to, I was having to have conversations with doctors and nurses and, and everything. And, and, you know, until a couple of days and then she started feeling better so I could talk to her a little bit more. And, but, but I never, I never lost that peace. And, and this, I believe that's what happened to Gideon. I believe when, when the Lord showed up and when, when, when he touched those sacrifices and they burn up and, and Gideon's like, oh my God, he said, I've seen an angel. And he said, I'm going to die. And, and the Lord spoke to him and he says, he says, peace be unto you. Do not fear. You're not going to die. Gideon's like, okay, you're with me. I got this. And then, then the angel gave him instructions. And you know the story. They, he started out with 32,000 people. And God said, that's too many. It went down to like 3,000. He said, that's still too many. Went down to 300 people. Against an army, remember, it was more than, more than they could number. But just like God, just like God, He told Gideon, He said, now Gideon, He said, if you're still fearful, He said, I want you to take you and your, 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 uh, the, your right hand man there. And He said, I, He said, I want you to sneak down into the, into the enemy's tents, into the enemy's camp. And He says, I'll show you something. So Gideon took him and his guy, went down into the tent, and, and overheard a conversation, and the conversation went something like this. I had this dream, and this big boulder, this big thing of wheat came down and crushed the tent and, and all this. And the other guy says, he says, that's Gideon. He said, Gideon's going to destroy us. And just like that, God told him, he says, he says, I have taken the strength out of your enemy. He says, now go, go in that power and attack them. And that night, 300 men attacked an army that was too many to number and defeated them. Why? Because Jehovah Shalom showed up and brought inner peace to Gideon before there was ever outward peace. He brought inward peace knowing that God was with him. Now let me give you, man, I am out of time. Let me give you, I'm just going to blow through these really quick and I'll give them and you can, you can read these. Isaiah 26. I love this. This is one of my go-to scriptures, man. I, I love this scripture. Isaiah 26.3. This is a song that Isaiah uh, wrote and told them to sing in the, in the land of Judah. But in verse 3, he says this. He says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So Isaiah said that when you trust in God and you keep your mind on Him, what happens? God keeps you in perfect peace. Man, that's good. Perfect peace. Look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I mean, this very familiar passage. <coughs> Excuse me. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, 
says the Lord. Some of, you, some of y'all might be thinking, That's, he may think some pretty bad thoughts about me for what I've done. But notice what he says. He says, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. The Amplified says in verse 11, he says, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. God's thoughts toward us are peace. Why? Because that's who He is. He's Jehovah Shalom. Do you know Him that way? Do you recognize Him as peace? Because His thoughts toward you are peace. When you think on Him, He keeps you in perfect peace. Matthew chapter 11 Man, I mean, these are, I could preach, I could preach a whole message on each one of these. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, the King James says, or the New King James says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the, word, the word shalom, it means completeness, it means wholeness, it, it also means rest. He says, come to me if you're heavy, if you're, if you're in labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and, and, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, and you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You read that from the message. verse. Uh, just put 28 up there in the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. We could say it like this. I'll show you how to be at peace. Amen. Now, we could go on with that one, but look at these. John chapter 14. I'm sorry I'm going through these so quick, but I just want, I want you to hear these. And I pray that you take these and, and you go home and you listen to this. If you're watching there on Facebook... I pray you, you that you know, man, you you can go back and and rewatch it and 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 go back and get these scriptures and study them out because because if if you need peace and who doesn't need peace in a time like today, who doesn't need real peace, you know, and, and with everything that's happening today, listen to what Jesus said himself. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in John fourteen verse twenty five. John fourteen twenty five. He says. These things I have spoken to you while, while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now, it's interesting, I, I, you know, until really this week, I didn't put those two together. But, but notice he said this, he said, he said, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He's going to bring back to remembrance everything I've said to you. And I always just, I always just thought Jesus was talking about, all the stuff. And he was, in a way. I mean, he was talking about everything he said. But then the very next thing he said, listen, listen, he said, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of everything I said. Now listen, and here's what I'm saying to you. The very next verse, verse 27. Peace, I leave with you. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you that Jesus left peace with you. He says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's exactly what he told Gideon. Peace be with you. Don't, be, don't fear. I'm with you. You're going to make it. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of what I said to you. And one of the most important things I said to you is that I've given you my peace. Not like the world, I'm giving you my peace. Then on over in John 16. And man, I'm, I'm telling you, you could preach, I could preach hours and hours on that. John 16, verse 33. <clears throat> Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Come on. The Amplified says this. The Amplified says in that verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will have distress. You will have frustration. Anybody ever have any of those? Some of y'all may have had them today when you came in. But Jesus said, listen, I've told you, I've given you my peace. And then He said, be confident, be certain, be undaunted, for I have overcome the world. Listen to this. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Now listen, the world, yeah, you have tribulation, trials, distress, all kinds of stuff happen to you. But Jesus has already been there. He's already deprived it of power to harm you. If you will keep your eyes on Him. If you will trust Him. If you will say, you are my peace, Jesus, not what's going on down here. Gosh. Romans chapter 8. Man, this is, this is good. Romans chapter 8. I, and I know I'm giving you a lot right here, but, but this is so important. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now look at verse 6. <clears throat> For to be carnally minded, or to be earthly minded, or to be... Uh, worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, if you if, if all you do is focus on the tribulation, the trials, the distresses, the problems, if all you do is look down here, you're going to be in trouble. But if you'll look up here. Meaning, when I say that, I don't mean just look at the ceiling. I mean, get your eyes on God. When you get your eyes on God, all of a sudden, this stuff down here all of a sudden doesn't matter. Why? Because He's peace. If I've got Him, what does this matter? Now listen, you know what? That didn't change the fact. I want, I want, I want you to hear this because I've had a couple people say a couple things to me about this. And I want you to hear this. Trials will come to every one of us. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that, that doesn't exempt me from trials. You know what? It was a reality. It was it was real that Stacy got sick and we had to take her to the hospital. She was in the hospital a week. And you know what? I mean, I prayed. I, 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 man, I stood on Psalm 91. I've read Psalm 91 every day this year. I claim that no sickness and no no calamity, no no. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> pestilence would come near my house. But you know what? It showed up on my front door. And it knocked my wife off her feet. But you know what? I still believe Psalm 91 is just as real today as it was a month ago. You know what? The Bible says this. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. The weapons will be formed. That sickness came. But you know what? That sickness did not have an effect. Now, yeah, it, it, it kept her in the hospital for a week. And she's still recovering. She's still getting stronger every day. But what I'm saying is this. Just because it came, just because he took his best shot, it didn't take us out. And it will not take us out. And it doesn't have to take you out. If you'll keep your mind and your, your thoughts focused on him, because listen, the trials will come. I've told you, you've heard me say it time and time again. If it shows up on your front step, you have the ability to overcome it. There is nothing that will show up on your, on your front step and knock on your door that God has not already prepared, prepared you and, and, and put on the inside of you everything you need to overcome it. Hallelujah. Two more Scriptures and I'll be through. I'm sorry. You need to hear these. Philippians 4, 7. Philippians 4, 7, 6 and 7. We'll just do 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The Amplified says in verse 7, God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort it is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will protect you if you will keep your thoughts and your minds on Him. Isaiah 26, I'll say it again. If you, keep, if, if you trust in Him and you keep your mind on Him, He will keep you in perfect peace. Colossians 3.15, and we'll finish up. I'm sorry I went a little bit long, but I, this, this, is, this is too good to, to shorten. <laughs> Colossians 3.15, just real quick. I mean, you could read that whole chapter, but, but verse 15 just says this. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. The Amplified, I love the Amplified of this. It says this. The Amplified says, let the peace of God, let the peace, soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule. Let it act as an umpire continually in your heart. Deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind in that peaceful state to which you as members of the body of Christ, one body you were also called to live. Be thankful, appreciate, appreciative, giving praise to God always. You see, the peace of God, when you let the peace of God rule in your heart, it will rule as an umpire. When something happens and something comes in and it's not right, the peace of God will say, hmm. You know, that's, that's, that, I don't need to say that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to go there. Why? Because, because I'm letting peace rule me. I've got my mind set on Him. You see, because here, you know, we read that Scripture in Romans about, about being carnally minded versus spiritually minded. What, really, what does it mean to be spiritually minded? Being spiritually minded means I'm thinking like Jesus. And if, 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 he, if he doesn't like it, I don't like it. If it pleases Him, it pleases me. That's to be spiritually minded. And see, that's what peace will do. Peace will come in. And when, and when, you, when you have peace, all of a sudden when you start thinking a thought that, that He wouldn't think, all of a sudden something will be like, hmm, that, that doesn't set right. That's a, that's a ball. That's outside. I need to, that's, that's, that's not down the middle. I'm, I'm not going to mess with that. You know. And see, so, so all of these things, guys, listen. All of these things, and I didn't even get this, I, I, I put this note in my notes, that the Greek word for peace, you know, because the, the, New Te- the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, 170 times the word shalom is translated peace. You know, so, and actually, and that story we read in Judges is the only time that Jehovah Shalom is put together. That's the only time in the Bible that, that those two words were put together. But throughout the Bible, the concept of peace, of Jesus being our peace, of, of God being our peace. Isaiah 9, 6, we read it every Christmas season. He is the Prince of Peace. I mean, you know, I mean, I, man, we could go so many different directions. But the Greek word for, pre, for peace is uh, irene, E-I-R-E-N-E. But li- listen to this. What it means is this. The New Testament definition of peace is to live life at its best. To live life at its best. When you are, when you are walking in the peace of God, you're living the best life you can live. Because nothing can disturb you. Circumstances don't disturb you. Man, that is, that is, that's the way I want to live my life. Amen. So, so the question that we've been asking through all this is this. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you know Him as peace? Are you walking in His peace, the peace that He gives you? Because He said that He left us His peace. Not peace of the world, but His peace. 
So this morning, you can have that peace. You say, Pastor, how do I do it? You keep your mind set on Him. You think thoughts that He would think. You, 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 uh, when you read the Scripture, you read it and you say, God, I want to see this like you see it. Amen. He is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Jesus is our peace. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we love you. We honor you. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, I know I've, I was long-winded this morning, but Lord, I just pray that, that each one of us would, would see and understand and that we would see you as the Lord is peace. That peace is not, um, peace is not determined by what's going on around us. But that peace is determined on the inside of us before we ever even look at the circumstances. And when we are truly in perfect peace, then the circumstances cannot affect that. And I thank you for that. So I pray blessings over each one this morning. Lord, I pray, I pray, Father, that the peace of God would just surround us. It would protect us. It would overwhelm us. That, that, that perfect peace that Jesus, you said you left each one of us, that we would walk in it, we would realize it, and we would see that, that we have that peace available to each one of us. So thank you for giving us that revelation. Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing it, just revealing more and more and more to us this week about your peace. So I thank you for that, Father. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.